Hi listeners, this is the Marvellous Cinema Podcast. What you're listening to right now has been recorded after we did this week's episode. We recorded the episode Friday afternoon, we then woke up on Saturday morning to the worst news, that Chadwick Boseman has sadly passed away at the age of 43 following a four-year battle with colon cancer. This news has come as a heartbreaking shock. We didn't want to release this week's episode without acknowledging the passing of a true hero, and we wanted to pay our respects. As Black Panther Chadwick Boseman has brought joy to the millions, his role and performances have not only changed the superhero genre in filmmaking for the better, but our culture as a whole. His other roles should not be forgotten either. Roles like Jackie Robinson, James Brown and Thurgood Marshall have also been great gifts. We have lost a truly special and gifted human being. His bravery and courage will forever inspire us. His legacy will never be forgotten. He will never be forgotten. Our thoughts and prayers and wishes are with his family and friends. Chadwick Boseman, our king, rest in peace. We just wanted to include this message in this week's episode, which will now follow. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Marvellous Cinema Podcast. I am your co-host Matthew and with me is... Henry. The other co-host. Yeah, the other co-host. <laughs> we are at home for positive fan culture. You can follow us on Instagram at the Marvellous Cinema Podcast. We do uh, reviews of the MCU and we're coming towards the end of it now. Yeah, end, fact, end. By the time this comes out, we will have done it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and we'll be moving on to um, opinion posts. Yeah, just random opinions. More be interesting. Yeah. You can also follow us on Twitter at Cinema Marvellous. Mm-hmm. Things will be going down there. Yeah. Pretty much the same things. <laughs> Basically. Uh, yeah. if, um, if you like listening to us, then show us a bit of support. Give us a like. Give us some thumbs up stuff and follows and all that good stuff. Yeah. If you're on iTunes, you can give us a review, which is enormously helpful if you do. Yeah. I think I've got one review so far. We do. Five stars. Boom. Damn right. Made it. Damn right. <laughs> um, and this week's episode, episode today, we are talking about the Star Wars prequels. Yeah, those ones. <laughs> We're talking about how they're viewed now, 15 years on. It's the 15th anniversary of this year mm-hmm. since Revenge of the Sith. It's the end of all things. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, yeah, because things have changed. Yeah, um, big things have changed. I mean, George Lucas no longer owns Star Wars. That's pretty big. <laughs> Enormous. Yeah. And now and everybody hates it. So <laughs> Everyone always hates anything, don't they? <laughs> Uh-huh. Massive thing. So what's your general opinion of the prequels? Um, before, it was generally just sort of the prequels. Yeah. <laughs> they exist. I'm not a massive fan of the first two. Yeah. I like the third one. Mm-hmm. Um, no, just it, it, my focus was always generally on the original trilogy. Yeah. Um, when I was younger, I did sort of like Attack of the Clones. Oh, all right, okay. But as a kid, I never—I'll be honest—I never really liked Phantom Menace. Even the Phantom Menace didn't, didn't like. No, I wasn't. As a, as a kid, the Phantom Menace was probably my my least favorite. Hmm. And maybe it still is. But I think my understanding of Phantom Menace has changed a lot in the last few years. Yeah, I mean. It's helpful having these movies come out when you're a kid and you have no idea what Star Wars is, and then you have 20 years to get them out. <laughs> yeah, it's 
for me, the franchise, like the prequels, are very because well, I even like before I knew about Star Wars, I knew that these films like were hated. I just knew I just knew the term prequels and hate was like synonymous together. Um, so I didn't, I never really gave them a fair shot, like watching them because I don't. It was all through the lens that everyone hates these, and I got to as well. Um, so whenever I watched them when I was younger, like 15 years old, was when I started watching Star Wars, I guess. Um, it was like a, I didn't really like them because I never gave my child like a chance to like them. Mm. Um, uh, now I half like them, I guess. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird, I get what you're going for. I kind of find aspects interesting. I think things do work in them, um, but overall, it's kind of a mixed bag of, yeah, hmm, not sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I'd very much agree. I think now I have more of a, an understanding or appreciation of what they were meant to be mm-hmm. um, through various factors, which I'm sure we'll discuss later on. Yeah. Um, but the, very much similar to you, I was very much. When I first saw them, I was very much unaware of the general culture surrounding them. Yeah. Um, obviously, obviously, as I got older and talked to more people about them, the general perception <laughs> of them did get to me, and it became more of, as a kid, I was sort of, I'm, I, I like these other ones more. Mm-hmm. But as, so as, as I got older, it became more of, ha-ha, the prequels are bad, ha-ha. Yeah. Culture. I- like a weird meme, almost. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, and so that played a part until sort of recently, really, where as I became more interested in filmmaking and that sort of thing, yeah, where you come to understand how things happen behind the scenes and how important they actually are to film as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate them more. Yeah, I mean, on a on like a filmmaking level, they are very important to what we're doing now. I mean. I mean, like, you could argue that because people are a bit sick of green screens and CGI and stuff like that, that it can be, you can say that was the start of bad things for Hollywood and, and the, way we make, the way we make movies, but um, you can't deny that it was a step forward in terms of technology and everything we're doing now is starts from the prequels, I would say, at least. Yeah, because, um, I mean, looking back now, people might say, well, that CGI looks a bit wonky. Mm-hmm. Particularly maybe in Phantom Menace. Yeah. Um, but you've got to think at the time. Yeah. That's incredible. And even now, if you look back at Revenge of the Sith, which is 2005, mm-hmm. that's pretty good. It's, for the most part, very good, I would say. Yeah, um, the, the opening space battle in Revenge of the Sith, considering it's 2005, and I'm sure you could find other films from around that time that were deploying CGI. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, yeah, it's impressive. It's um, it's one of those things though where, as I look at the prequels and I think, wow, they did a lot of great things for what we're doing now. It's amazing how I look back at the original trilogy, and I, I don't really think at any point do I think any visual effect looks outright bad in those films. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them, yeah, it can be a bit wonky because it was 1977 and they had no budget. But it's oh ama- yeah, it's amazing yeah. how like the spaceships or whatever look completely tangible and, and I, I feel like I can touch it or it just feels like it's real um, in a way that the CGI and the prequels, whilst revolutionary and gets a lot better as we go forward, is um, 
it doesn't feel as real and like Star Wars. Because I feel people, if, even if you like Star the prequels, like you love them and you think they're the best part of the Star Wars saga, I don't think you could ever say that they feel like the other ones. Oh, um, no. No. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of people for people that are fans wanting more Star Wars films to be like the original trilogy, they didn't get that. They got films that had Obi-Wan Kenobi in it, but they were in a different universe <laughs> that had a different tone. And people talk like they were in Shakespeare plays instead of rough, like, action movies. Um, so it was... The tone and the feeling of Star Wars was is not really present in the prequels. It's a different tone. I'm not saying that it's not Star Wars, but it is a different tone than what we expect from. Not just the original, but the sequels and The Mandalorian and even mm. Clone Wars. Um, yeah, it just feels different. Would you agree? Yeah, I'd agree. I think it has a certain... Prequels have like a... It looks a little, a little too clean at points. Yeah. Particularly in like Attack of the Clones is probably the most guilty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, Attack of the Clones and Rens of the Sith, um, they were the first film, films to be shot on digital. Mm. So I think that was... Whilst, yes, and again, another big stepping point for like going forward into filmmaking and how everyone everyone now uses digital film digital tools to make film unless you're some sort of like auto director that gets a, gets a chance to use film because the studio allows it um and digital films was like a very much new thing from star wars and um they would have i feel like number one reason that they feel weird because they just don't have the same look as the rest of the films um mm. Even the new ones had make a very obvious effort to be shot on film and not be color graded to the point of the way the prequels were and just to be different, mm. not to be modern, but be I don't know, not to be too old, not too modern. And I feel like they got a good mix there, whereas mm. the prequels were just were just going forward and um, it was good and bad for the industry. <laughs> yeah, I think it's funny, like like you said that. The Phantom Menace does clearly look different to the other two. Yeah. And yeah. I think by the time you reach Revenge of the Sith, I think Revenge of the Sith is probably the best looking of the three. Mm-hmm. I would agree. In my, in, in my opinion. I think they definitely got a handle on what the prequel era should have looked like and should have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and moving moving into the films themselves, how do you want to do this? Do you want to do it on like a film-by-film basis? Do you want to start at Phantom Menace and move, move forward? On. Yeah, yeah, that'll be, okay, yeah. Okay, so, Phantom Menace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how do you feel? Where, do, where does this fit in your ranking? Because we did a ranking before Christmas, before The Rise of Skywalker. Um, All the way back then, back when we had a studio and the world <laughs> still turned normally. Simpler times. Um, Where did it fit? I think it was. I think it was maybe second last or last. I think. I think it might be second last at this point for me. Um, I think Attack of the Clones is just a bit weaker for me as a film. Um, I don't know. There's something about Episode One where I don't agree with a lot of the decisions that it makes. Um, and again, it's a start. It's a start of that weird era of Star Wars not feeling like Star Wars, but. The difference for me between Attack of the Clones and The Phantom Menace is with Phantom Menace, I feel like I'm watching, I don't know, maybe it's just like the background or the context of people watching in 1999 and expecting the best movie ever. <laughs> I think there's some sort of weird, I don't know, like I, 
there's something about it where I just think that it feels more like a Star Wars film than, a, than the next two. Um, I think I heard someone say that out of all the prequels, the first one is the only one that doesn't feel like a tech demo. And I feel like that makes sense to me now. Um, even though, obviously, I prefer episode three um, to the rest of them. Episode one does feel like the most. This could be a trilogy that like, like look gets better as it goes along and it looks mm. good and it <laughs> it doesn't feel like George Lucas having fun with green screen yet um so I feel like I can take it more seriously just watching it than, than maybe Attack of the Clones um and I do kind of enjoy this film I'm not gonna lie um uh, mm. do you enjoy this film this film um, um well I know I remember explicitly that when we did the ranking before this was dead last for me Oh, okay. Okay. Um, I did edge Attack of the Clones slightly higher. Yeah. But I, in my mind, I think a lot has changed since then. Okay. Mainly, what I'm going to draw upon is um, the the gallery Mandalorian series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As we've talked about before, I think it was on. Something. I think it was TV shows we talked okay. about yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Okay. And that Dave Filoni, creator of the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Um. Gave a little bit of an explanation, or I don't know, I don't know what he called it because obviously he wasn't there when it was made, but <laughs> like um, an exploration of sort of the final battle in that film, the lightsaber duel between Darth Maul and Qui Gon and Obi Wan, mm-hmm. and that for me has bolstered the film a bit. Yeah, and I... obviously since then as well, I've come to sort of understand maybe what I was going for. So I have a bit more of an appreciation of it. Yeah. I still uh, think I'd maybe put it last. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to put it above like any of the bad Star Wars films, I guess you could call them. Um, it's definitely in that tier of Star Wars movies. Where you're like, I don't really want to watch this again for a while. <laughs> um, I accept it as a part of Star Wars, but I don't really, I'm not really a fan of it. Because um, mm, when I think about this film, and I think about specifically in that ranking that we gave. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the first thing I probably think about is Darth Maul and the, the duel at the end. Yeah. And when I think about that part, I think, maybe I shouldn't put this last. Maybe I should put it higher. Yeah. But then the more I think about the film, I think about some of the problems I have with it in that the pacing and the structure is is non-existent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there just isn't any... I mean, I think it gets off to a kind of a good start. I feel like it, it kind of promises a big adventure with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. But then mm. we, as soon as we get to Naboo and then the underwater thing, then to Tatooine, it all feels a bit like, I don't know, like back and forth, back and forth of like the same thing happening over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the opening credit crawl, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's good. It doesn't. But for me, when I'm rewatching it, you get into the opening scene, and it just for me just something feels mm. a little off. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's always been the the what do you call them the the new Gunray character, their their species. Yeah, uh, that prosthetic and that mouthpiece that they use to sync up the dialogue, it's it doesn't match up to the dialogue, and it's so off-putting from the get-go that you are instantly thinking. How how in 1980 and 1983 did they make all these great little puppets and creatures that never felt unreal? And in 1999, the first one we see, we're like, what's going on? It's 
it's so weird that first like I'm, I'm an animatronic character um mm. and the accent is also a bit weird it's like a chinese accent but it's not but it's also very yeah re-watching it i'm thinking is this racist yeah it kind of feels like that doesn't it <laughs> um i don't think it was intended to be that way but i don't know it's weird it's a weird way to start a movie with that character um um mm. but i i want to i want to talk about um tatarine that segment of the whole movie because i think mm-hmm. weirdly for me um and it only happened recently i realized that i actually really like what anakin is like in these three movies um I think Clone Wars adds a lot to his character in terms of likability, but I think seeing and hearing a lot of interviews and different things of what he was going for with with Anakin, I kind of understand what he was doing, and I no longer have that hatred for nine-year-old Anakin that I used to. I actually think it kind of works. Um, I mean, it's all under like the George Lucas kind of clunky dialogue and weird, mm. but what is there I do think is good, and I do like the arc of that character, even though I would do it differently, and I think many people would agree that they would do it differently, um, having him be a nine-year-old boy who loses his mother um, and then goes off to be a Jedi and they don't accept him right away. Um, and then going forward, obviously, all the different things that happen with him. But mm, Yeah, I think... Yeah, go on. Sorry. I don't think this is a good start, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say to do to anyone. Like, I wouldn't... If I was making a prequel film about a character, I would never say... Well, regardless of when he's nine-year-olds, I would never do that. Um, and I do get the criticism of him being a bit of a, a weird character that had a lot of weird dialogue that feels, I don't know, like it feels like you're turning this big villain to something weird, weirdly, like not at all like the Darth Vader we know. But mm. for me, the whole point. Um, yeah. I feel like the fact that I can look at Darth Vader now in all those films and at some point in my mind just go, oh yeah, little Anakin. Like it's kind of a, it's a weird thing to do in your mind to have. Oh, I never him was a child <laughs> um, when he was innocent and he was happy and he just doing pod racing. It was, it's kind of weird that it works now for me that when it never used to. Um, it's, and I think my first opinion piece on Instagram is going to be about Anakin in these films. Um, okay. I think it works underneath all the weird dialogue. <laughs> yeah, I um, I agree. I I don't mind him being a kid. Yeah, I think the dialogue is iffy, mm-hmm. but him starting off as a kid, I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. For me, the, the problem with Anakin in the prequel trilogy is him in Attack of the Clones. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough um, one. <laughs> and him in The Phantom Menace, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. It's just that for me, the whole Tatooine sequence generally, it just feels odd that it's there. Mm, yeah, it's one of them things where is this? I just think is this the best story you could be telling with this time? Yeah, it's... and I mean, I'm, I'm I didn't know whether to talk about it during Attack of the Clones or talk about it in this one. Yeah, I think I'll talk about it for this one. It's weird that the the main thing from this era we're introduced to in A New Hope. Mm-hmm. Is that it's referred to as the Clone Wars? <laughs> yeah, but you don't see the Clone Wars during the prequel trilogy. Yeah, you don't. You just see them end. You see the beginning and the end. I mean, yeah, and for me, it, it's odd that it, the, the Clone Wars don't start during at the end of the first film. Yeah, 
Because I think that would make it more. I don't know. It'd make it perhaps more one whole story. Mm-hmm. And Whereas feel- with there being such a massive time jump between the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, yeah, it just kind of feels odd. <laughs> yeah, it just feels odd. It's the trilogy. Whilst I, I definitely like weirdly respect it because what other trilogy jumps ten years each time? It's oh yeah. yeah. Um, but in saying that, I do agree with the fact that I do think that having, even just having one villain that wasn't Darth Maul, then Count Dooku, then the Emperor, then Darth Vader, then Grievous, it would be it would be a lot more helpful of like, it was the Clone Wars, the Clone Wars from the get go, and it was one villain, maybe Darth Maul, the entire trilogy, and it has it's all about this conflict with this one character, and underneath all that, all this Anakin turned to the dark side, and Obi-Wan, and all this happens underneath that sort of main plotline, um, mm. rather than the first movie being... I Honestly, this first movie feels more like a prelude than the actual episode one. Yeah, it does. It, it does. feels like it's... It doesn't, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's irrelevant, but it's... It's definitely the least one. Like you don't have to watch this one to get Star Wars. You know, it's it's like a it's like hey, you like Darth Vader? The Hayes and Midway's a kid for a bit, and there's Qui Gon. We've got Liam Neeson to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it just it doesn't feel necessary, even though it's I guess nice to see in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, I think it would be better if, if there was some sort of overarching plot point going on. Um, yeah. yeah. I feel like I've, you know, I've put in quite a bit of negative for mm-hmm. Phantom Menace. Yeah. Um, on the perhaps on the upside. Yeah. The more positive. The the main takeaway, perhaps from the the trilogy as a whole, but also what I mainly think about when I think about the Phantom Menace, mm-hmm. is that there are some really great ideas in there. Yeah. And George Lucas is, in terms of ideas. There aren't many people better than George Lucas. Oh no! no. In, in filmmaking, for the sake of vision, of just the the, the simplest of concepts, like a concept in their purest form. Yeah. And one of the things I know people don't necessarily like about the prequels is sort of the political side of it, mm-hmm. politics. Yeah. Where I actually think that I actually like the political stuff. Mm. Yeah. In that it's just that idea of having the Galactic Senate <laughs> and having this, watching them tear themselves apart and watching them be tricked into into Palpatine's plan. Yeah. Um, I think that as a whole, it's a very fascinating way in how they deal with the Clone Wars, but I just don't think it's handled right. Yeah. Like we just We just see like a handful of... Senate scenes where we're given some exposition, yeah, and the bare bones of everything, and nothing really feels connected. I always feel a bit scared whenever I see Coruscant in the prequels. Cause I know it's going to be some sort of Senate scene, because <laughs> um, I know it's going to be. I guess a good framing point is um, the Clone Wars TV show, where they do have a few Senate. Um, uh, sort of episodes that are all, that are all around some sort of political movement going on in that big room, um, and they usually frame it for having a character you know and get to like, 
um, experiencing turmoil and character change through the Tenant. So, like, mm-hmm. I think there's one episode in particular where Padme is trying to change something, but she goes, she does this whole Senate thing, and then comes back to the behind the stage thing and has a whole like argument and the character motivation and the sort of like a downfall and also like a great big like third act sort of awakening to something. Um, whereas in the prequels, the actual films themselves, the, the Senate scenes feel very much like you're watching the actual politics. <laughs> and yeah, it feels like a plot device. It, yeah, it feels mechanical instead of being character mm-hmm. like it doesn't feel like it's relevant to the characters you're watching, even though, in a way, it's the most relevant. <laughs> uh, it is. In terms of, like, the Senate being shown in the Clone Wars, for me, one of the best episodes about it is the one where um, Padme takes Ahsoka to their friends who are Separatists. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you see the Separatist Senate, which is led by Dooku, mm-hmm. and, you, and you, you see it through Ahsoka's eyes in... You see the politics of the world through Ahsoka's eyes, yeah. who is relatively inexperienced in it. Mm-hmm. And that exploration of it and the, the conflict between them and exactly what the conflict is mm-hmm. between the two warring factions, because that's something that isn't necessarily explored in the films. Not you're really. Just, you're just told that they're at war. You know, don't really know why. Yeah, it kind of just happens, doesn't it? It's... Mm. People exist that are called separatists and we're the Republic and we're against each other because pff, something to do with politics, I guess. There's some sort of taxation. <laughs> um, it's, yeah. I mean, even in The Phantom Menace, we have that sort of viewpoint character with Anakin. We have that in him. He has no idea what politics is or the Senate is and he at no point experiences it and therefore the audience never gets to experience it through his eyes. It doesn't feel like a character learning something. It feels like George Lucas saying to us, here's the story, and listen. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it, the politics to me is the least compelling part of people's, even though I can't help but respect it for the fact that he put politics up front in Star Wars. Um, mm, it's like yeah. the, um, the tweet from Ryan Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Where he says that the, George Lucas very boldly to put all this stuff into the prequel trilogy. Mm. And to go for, and that's that's what that's what I'm that's what I'm meaning when I said these ideas are unlike anybody else's, and the ambition to go for these things without even questioning it really mm-hmm. is a testament to how admirable George Lucas is as a filmmaker. Yeah. And speaking think, of him, yeah, I think one of the main reasons that one of the main reasons. The reason, one of the main reasons I admire the prequels, but also <laughs> one of the reasons that I think also the prequels suffer is that it is pure George Lucas. Yeah, like no one said no to him at any point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this this is this is becoming quite a well documented sort of point of view or opinion yeah. in that a lot through the sequels. So sorry, through the originals. Yeah. For. Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, he had co-writers with him and there were directors that weren't him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, mainly Lawrence Kasdan. Uh, yeah. And through a lot of George Lucas's more successful films, mm-hmm. like um, he wrote Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Which he had Kasdan with him for. Um, his earlier films, he did a sci-fi film in the 60s or the early 70s. 
mm. with Robert Duvall in it. Oh, yeah. THX 11 something or other. <laughs> um, that had a co-writer. American Graffiti, he wrote with other people. Yeah. And I just it... think, while he does have some brilliant ideas, mm-hmm. he can sometimes get too bogged down in them. Yeah. And the structure... <laughs> he often loses and I think he often needs that person with him to say hang on let's get back to how we're actually going to do this let's get back to the practical side of this I feel like the prequels especially the first two um, feel like George Lucas having a bunch of ideas are all pretty great honestly and then at no point did he I don't know um, kind of think about how he's going to introduce the audience to these ideas I think it is for I'll put them on screen and they'll have to watch it <laughs> yeah. and uh I think, I do think that I don't understand why Anakin isn't our frame of, like, our viewpoint character. Um, and I feel like the criticism comes up a lot um, from a lot of people from the prequels is the fact that, especially in The Phantom Menace, there's no main character. It's like, I guess, Qui-Gon, I guess. Um, but he doesn't really have a journey as a character. Now everyone has no journey as a character. Everyone's has... barely in The Phantom Menace. Obi-Wan, yeah, he's not in that movie. For the he's... first two-thirds, it's just the occasional, maybe one cut in half an hour back to the ship where everyone's like, we're nearly done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're nearly I... done the repairs. <laughs> I feel like that's actually a good point I wanted to make that I forgot about. Um, uh, I, I guess this is a good, um, good point to make about how your viewpoint can change if you just allow it to change, even though you, you don't, agree, don't agree with it. Um I always, always, always really hated the the decision to make Obi Wan stay on that ship, um, and I never understood it until like, my last viewing, where I kind of went, "Oh, okay." So from the viewpoint of what you're telling Anakin, what you want is for him to have to show him as a nine year old boy who's having not a great life, but can have a great life with Qui Gon and his mother if they got set free and could go anywhere they wanted and have a life and be a Jedi. Um, so you kind of start with this great ideal of hope and that Anakin's life could turn out well, even though it's kind of like the Titanic, you know it's going to sink. It's kind of like that. But it's it's like, it's kind of, I get the idea of Qui-Gon going there because even though I don't think the film makes a great point of it, which I think it should have done more so, Qui-Gon and Shmi Skywalker, um, they are very much like a husband and a wife and like a mother and a mother and father to um, Anakin, um, and I feel like it definitely. When I listen to Dave Filoni talk about the ending, like the meaning of the ending of that saber fight, um, it came across to me more the idea that this movie isn't about Anakin turning to the dark side. It's more this first one is more about what he could have had, um, and I feel like if Qui Gon survived, um, him being a sort of unruly Jedi, I think he's probably out of all Jedi kind of the best one in some ways because um, I think when we meet the Jedi in this movie they're very much like a monk religion that don't really do anything any at all uh, and kind of just debate about things and just don't even want Anakin to be on the be in the Jedi because he's too old even though he's nine years old <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I feel like um, Qui-Gon being a kind of a loosey-goosey <laughs> Jedi sort of figure um would have been would have allowed Anakin when he's older to go back to his mother and save her from the from the slavery and the Tatooine just general life, <laughs> um, yeah. and I feel like that could have been the life he could have had if Qui Gon survived, and 
the family he could have had in uh, a father figure from Qui-Gon. But unfortunately, um, and I think it's a great point at the end of the, sequel, the prequel trilogy, where um, Anakin keeps on saying that he thinks of Obi-Wan like a father, but uh, Obi-Wan keeps on saying that he thinks of him like a brother. And I feel like that's the big difference between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. Mm. Um, Obi-Wan's not a father figure. He's more of a brother who doesn't really... He doesn't really nurture Anakin in, in, in a way. He kind of just accepts what he is instead of trying to help him. Yeah, um, he's more of a brother that I think tries his best mm. with, how, with, with what he knows. Yeah. But ultimately, he knows that he's not the best person to do it. Yeah. It's, it's a great way for me of this, just seeing what could have happened, but unfortunately went the other way. And but before I got that viewpoint and kind of saw it that way, it was always your trilogy is based off Obi Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker, and they don't meet in this film until an hour and twenty minutes in, when they could have easily met forty minutes in at least. Like it's it's very weird to me, and it still kind of is that they're not the those two characters together aren't the main points from the that trilogy from from beginning to end. Because um, again, episode two, episode three, they split apart. Uh, yeah, the movie. I was gonna uh, say they're barely together when you think about it. Yeah, they're not really together. It's the chase sequence at the start of Attack of the Clones. Yeah, there's, there's the arena in Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Then there's the start of Revenge of the Sith. Mm-hmm. Then there's the fight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, and I get the Clone Wars TV show really filled in the gaps there, and oh, it does, yeah. And also, even before episode two, there's a whole history there where you got to assume that Obi-Wan and Anakin were together at all times. Um, it's just a shame that we didn't, we don't really see that in the movies. We just see, I mean, for me, kind of, I guess jumping ahead, but um, when they when they introduced Anakin and Obi-Wan in the, the elevator, episode two, mm-hmm. it's a very weird scene for me because it feels like George Lucas's biggest problem in the people is coming to a head of like, the, the characters just say, remember when we did that thing? And he goes, yeah, we did that thing, didn't we? What good friends we are. And then it moves on to the plot. And it's like, oh, it's the problem that all these films have is that, and I don't know what happened because in the original trilogy, I think it's great at it. Um, and it's exposition. It just doesn't work in these prequels at all. It's people standing around and just telling telling each other and therefore telling the audience what the movie's about. And it happens a lot in the prequels. Um I mean, a lot of the clunky lines from the movies come from, and it's all like all the memes and stuff. It comes from lines that are just telling the audience what to feel when you don't really have to. Like Anakin, for much as I really respect what he did with the character, and I think it works now. Um, why does he have? Why does he have to say at the end of Revenge of the Sith? Um, from my point of view, my point of view, the Jedi are evil. Like I know, like you don't have to tell me. Um, there's so many weird clunky lines that I feel like George Lucas not trusting the audience and just telling them. Mm. Um, and I feel it would have... I mean, there's, there's so many scenes of Attack of the Clones with Obi-Wan just walking around getting told the plot by people. <laughs> it's it's so strange. Um, and I feel like looking at uh, A New Hope, for example, there's barely a line of exposition there. And if, it, if there isn't a line of um, exposition, it's always... It's always like you want to hear it because Obi Wan saying about the Force, and you have to, and you're wondering, you're wondering what it is because you just, you just all these weird things. Um, so him saying that, it feels like you want to know, it, and it's only a scene that lasts for five minutes, maybe. Um, mm. 
Whereas this film and the following two are just to the brim of just people just saying, we are Naboo and we are, we are a great people and we are starving. And well, the taxation routes and the, what is a stop talking. <laughs> it's so, it's so weird. Because um, mm. I feel like he's great in the originals and in other yeah. things. Actually. But in this prequels, I don't know what happened. I really don't know. Mm-hmm. Also, I was going to say before I mentioned about the, um, in always having co-writers. Mm. He doesn't have a co-writer for A New Hope, which people might think is would be a counter-argument. Yeah. However, I would suggest that um, while he didn't have a co-writer, he based it heavily off a structure. Yeah, it was the hero's journey. Yeah, um, from um, Joseph Campbell's A Hero of a Thousand Faces. Yeah, which um, is the, the base mark of every blockbuster origin story mm. at this point in time. Um, yeah, because it works. <laughs> um, you were saying about sort of the memes, mm-hmm. and that is probably one of the one of the signs that maybe <laughs> maybe maybe George Lucas played a blinder and didn't even know it. <laughs> because with yeah. memes, mm-hmm. you've connected with an entirely new generation of fans. Yeah, people quote these movies more than any other movie. <laughs> Lines are now iconic, particularly Revenge of the Sith. Oh, yeah. The Revenge of the Sith memes are top. Top notch. Mm-hmm. But even like <laughs> the early ones, you have all the fish memes. Some yeah. Phantom yeah. Menace, there's always a bigger fish. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> there are others from Shorts and Phantom Menace, but yeah. It's it's like, I think it's a great telling of lines that to the audience feel odd. And obviously with the younger generation have turned those lines that feel odd into jokes. Um it's yeah, it's so weird. I feel like uh, nineteen ninety nine, the year Phantom Menace came out, had a great example of a movie that came out um, the same year doing the same thing that this, that movie was doing, a sci fi movie where you, had, where you had to explain the world to the audience what the characters were going through, but it did it much better. And I feel like that's the Matrix. Um, mm. the, the Matrix came out the same year as this film. It has to introduce a whole new concept, uh, new characters have their own journey. Um, uh, an enemy, uh, a midpoint. There's all these different things in that movie that they have to explain heavily to the audience. And at no point does it feel does it feel like a a, a, a work to get through. And I feel like it's because they open that movie with a great sort of chase scene that tells you nothing but shows you everything. So you see everything the characters can do in the Matrix. So you want to know how they're doing that. And then when they explain it in this very great like long kind of scene using visual language to tell you what's going on um it feels like you want to know it and you're getting to know it and it's like an exciting thing and then the movie just runs with it from there on just like all those concepts that you introduced just runs with it um mm. whereas Phantom Menace it starts out with taxation on the trade routes and people quite gone all we want to sit down and talk about the force and what the force is kind of and then Ooh, the 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 wait, the nakedness wait here. I wonder why the wait is wait. And then, <laughs> and then it's like, it's yes, yeah, it's, it's just so odd how they handle telling the story in these movies, especially the first one. I would say, mm-hmm. uh, it's odd all around. <laughs> mm-hmm. Again, it's yeah. just yeah, it's just I think there are these big concepts, and it's just they they, they find great difficulty in telling them. Mm. And yeah. bringing them across effectively. Because if you do, 
<laughs> and you do have perhaps a better structure and a better pace Phantom Menace without the exposition. I think it, there's, a, there's a there's a really decent film in there. There is, yeah. I I feel like the 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 parts I like about this film are good enough to make a good film. Um, oh yeah, they are. But and that's it, that's I think why people have latched onto them now and mm, have appreciated them. Yeah, because it's not just the ramblings of an idiot. No, no, no. It's they are. Yeah. They're, 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 they are perhaps not so well executed big concepts. Yeah, um, and it's like a, there's a lot going underneath the hood. Like there is a lot of there's a lot of subtext in those movies. There's a lot of different meanings you can gather gather from those movies, and sort of mythological mythological um, sort of trademarks are in those movies that are perhaps in some ways more deep than the original trilogy. Um, in some ways. Um, mm. But again, yeah, just not not tall like the a sense of grace or any sort of any sort of like I don't know, there's not there's not really like a spearhead going forward where you feel like, oh, I follow this marker and it'll all come to me when I just follow this. <laughs> it's more like which way do I go with the story because it's just all the things at once. <laughs> um another problem I have with the prequels, and I think it's I think it gets more evident in this, as the films go on, but maybe not. I don't know. Um, it's the way he shoots um, the all the scenes. <laughs> um, they feel so bland the way he decides like to shoot them. It's it's very rare with any any sort of energy in the in a way he decides to film any sort of conversation or even a pod race. Um, the pod race when when you look at that scene and how it's filmed, it is. Whilst I do think it's structured well, I feel like it's a good, a free lap sports thing that I feel raises the stakes, raises the stakes with each turn. Um, the way he actually films it is very, I mean, it's like the camera pans left to right the entire way through. It's, and there's very rarely a break from that. It's just left to right, left to right. And before that, the conversations, the conversations are very, there's no, there's no real blocking. There's no real, there's nothing... I don't know, cinematic about the way he's shooting these conversations that feel like this would be like listened to. Um, it's just Qui-Gon in a very long shot that lasts for a long time, him talking to um, someone and they're just going down a corridor. It's, I mean, there's obviously, I think there's a big drug about these movies where people just walk and talk and sit down and then talk and then go somewhere else and then talk. Um, and I think the most hilarious part is in episode two, <laughs> when Anakin and Obi Wan talked to Padme at the begin, beginning of the film, and they they greet each other, say hello, and Anakin's a bit, bit creepy and all that, um, and then they and then the, the camera just stands still and then just shows them slowly walking over to the to the couch and sitting down, and it's the most awkward thing you could ever watch. It's it's like every sort of principle in telling a story through just visual means is lost. <laughs> it's just people walking and walk to a different spot and then they talk some more. It's it's just so weird and I don't know what happened from A New Hope and Return of the Jedi and Empire Tracks back to this where those were such like they they were films like they they were told through the medium of film for a reason and it was and it was like it was for the I mean every shot it tells a story in those movies and the new ones um, but here we just get it's just so bland all the time. <laughs> uh, oh god, yeah, it's hard to like get involved with the movies in that mm. way. 
before we move on to properly sort of talking about Attack of the Clones, <laughs> um, the final duel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you do you enjoy it? I yeah, I enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's good. I think some of the um, some of the lightsaber swings quite mm-hmm. clearly aren't going to hit anybody. Yeah, they're going for anything there. <laughs> um, but I, I I do appreciate it from a, a choreographed point of view, mm-hmm. particularly Darth Maul. Yeah. As a character design, the geezer is a terrifying thing. <laughs> yeah. You you meet that in a dark alleyway. You're turning around. Yeah, you'll go on away. Yeah. <laughs> um and the way the way he yeah. sort of revealed where the doors just open and he mm. stands there, twiddles his lightsaber hilt for a bit and then ignites both ends. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> and it's, again, like you were saying about visual like being visual, there's no dialogue there. Yeah, yeah. And it like works. The, the, I think I think the door's open. I can't remember exactly. The door's open. He's standing there. Mm-hmm. I think Qui Gon or Obi Wan tells the others to go around. Yeah, that's the only line of dialogue. And then they just stand there looking at each other. They take mm-hmm. off the cloaks. <laughs> um, and they yeah. ignite the lightsabers. Nobody says a word. Everyone knows, you know. What's going to happen? Agree. Yeah. Um, also, I saw um, I saw a meme the day, and it was um, Obi Wan in in A New Hope. Mm. Obi-Wan goes out like he lived his life leaving a discarded cloak behind <laughs> yeah. because every battle you just sort of let me just take off my cloak yeah why are you wearing it then <laughs> um, and spe- speaking of the Jedi clothing as well oh yeah I, I don't mean this is a criticism by the way I mean it's purely as a joke this is like a valid criticism of the film at all mm-hmm. but um, so Obi-Wan turns up in a new hope yeah Wearing all these um, these, these sand robes or whatever. Yeah. And then time comes to make a Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. And George <laughs> Lucas thinks, oh yeah, that that's the Jedi uniform. Yeah. That's mm. that's not just what an old man would wear in the desert. Yeah, that's the Jedi uniform. Which is weird because he was he was in hiding. Why mm. would he wear Jedi robes for everyone to see? <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah. For comparison's sake, I feel like that lightsaber fight. Comparing the fact that there's no dialogue and it just starts up, um, comparing that to Count Dooku versus Yoda fight, mm-hmm. which is there's so much clunky dialogue of just, I guess we can't do this through the force, but for test our skills with a lightsaber. And like, yeah, yeah, I know, I get it. <laughs> just whip it out and get on with it. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's so weird. Um, yeah. Do you want to move on to Attack of Clones? Yeah, we can do. Okay. How do you feel about Attack of the Clones? <laughs> Um, I think it's for some reason I do think it's paced a bit better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it feels a bit better. It feels like it's moving. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, yeah. Also, I've, I just remembered something for the Phantom Menace. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to say final thing. Mm-hmm. The lightsaber battle does suffer from a, a dodgy editing because it's intercut with Anakin in space. Which I feel like is a really poorly balanced yeah. finale. Anyway. Yeah. Stack of the clones. Yeah. <laughs> um I I do think it's paced a bit better. It feels a bit more structured. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you feel like there is like a natural build up. Yeah. Um but at the same time it has a lot of what the first one has. Yeah. There's a lot of walking around, a lot of talking. There's a lot of Obi Wan being led around. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. So what is this room? What <laughs> happens in here? Yeah. <laughs> it's um, yeah. Also, I'm grateful that in this one, everyone starts to become a character. Yeah, he's a he's a character in this one. He has a journey. He does something. <laughs> and again, like very, very similar to what you said with the Phantom Menace. Who's the protagonist here? I I don't know. I want to say Obi Wan, uh, but as soon as Obi Wan lands on Geonosis, yeah, he disappears. He's gone. He's out of the story. And then we meet him later on through Anakin. So yeah, yeah, it's weird. I'm not really sure. <laughs> Again, um, yeah, I feel like this one's a bit better paced. Um, I'm not sure. Again, I'm not sure it'd be second last or last in my ranking. Um, but it's definitely, I think. A, a more well-rounded film. It feels like it's, it's doing something, at least. Um, mm. And, yeah, and I feel like, going back to the point of um, people walking around talking, it's not that they are walking around and talking. It's, and that's it, and that we're bored by that. I love plenty of films where people just talk in rooms. Um, it's it's just how they film it. And again, the same thing here, where I think, I think Attack of the Corns is where it, com- it comes out the worst for that. Um, there's, so many scenes where you can you can feel like wow we're really just gonna have the camera just sat there and they're going to just walk over there and they're going to talk some more wow okay great like it's <laughs> it's so weird to me that this movie for the most part is comprised of people walking around in very long shots that don't really have any meaning or not there's no really composition composition in those shots that um mean anything that make the scene feel more emotional by the fact that they're framed in such a weird way or framed in a way that makes you feel like the character is more powerful than the other character it's just people in a corridor in a eye level shot walking and talking about politics um <laughs> and it, yeah it's weird um and i guess yeah for this one there is a better set of characters at least because you do have everyone and you do have anakin and they are doing things on different journeys that are i guess i guess I guess this film's kind of trying to do uh, Empire Strikes Back of splitting everyone up, but yeah. uh, I feel like this this movie doesn't really do it as well. <laughs> I think um, I think split, splitting the characters up only works if they've actually been together in the first one. Yeah, yeah, it feels like I feel like I just met Anakin, you know, <laughs> and mm. I just met everyone for the first time, and then they're not having a movie together. Um, yeah, it's for me this is a it's a, maybe sometimes a slight improvement over the last one. Uh, there's less Jaja Binks, which, by the way, I think I said this before to you that I don't hate Jaja Binks. I think he's fine. Jaja Binks mm. is just a character who, I mean, out of everyone in the prequels, he's the only character that talks like a, like not like a robot. <laughs> um, yeah, that's true. So maybe that's why I, we don't yeah. like him. <laughs> I don't hate him. No, I find him annoying, mm-hmm. but I don't hate him. <laughs> I think he's a side attraction for the kids to watch <laughs> mm. in some ways. Um, look at the bumbling fool. Yeah, look at him move. Oil funny. Um, Isn't he fluid? <laughs> <laughs> and again, for that character, that's the first CGI full-on character that we got that mm. was performance. Um, so, I mean, without Jar Jar, you don't get Gollum or like anything like that. It's no. It's the first step and even though you may not like the character or even the CGI, it's it's what we're doing now all the time, and the reason you love so many characters is based off this one character that you might have hated. So I feel like anything... The weird thing about the prequels is that anything about them that you might hate, you kind of, at some level, got to respect it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's weird. Um, um, yeah. Um, 
with this one, with this one, I don't really feel the driving force of a, of a villain. I don't really know what's going on. <laughs> I just know that Padme is going to get killed. Um, oh, well, oh, I forgot I told you about this. Oh, the best part of the prequels is the assassin that kills, that's trying to kill Padme, and the whole, the whole thing. Oh God! Right. Okay. So. The Django Fett is hired is hired to kill Padme, right? Uh-huh. By Count Dooku, who is I guess hired by <laughs> Palpatine. Um and Django Fett then decides, okay, so I will I will get I will get this random shifting clone person woman to kill Padme for me. So already there we've got three different elements into killing this one person. Um and then <laughs> and then this girl thing in Coruscant says, "Okay, I will go and kill Padme." And the witch does as she goes, "Here, space probe, you go kill her." Um, so the space probe, space probe goes over to Padme's bedroom, and she's having a nice little nap. And, and the space, the space probe goes, "Oh, hang on, um, you alien bugs, you go." Kill her. <laughs> and then that goes wrong. And then after that. Jango Fett shows up, and then when when um, Obi Wan and um, Anakin are right there, and Padme is alone by herself, defenseless from all the Jedi, there's no Jedi like defending her. Um, Jango Fett decides instead of killing Padme, I will go and kill the woman I the woman I hired, <laughs> and he goes to kill the woman he hired to do the job in the first place. Um, I don't understand that at all. I never did. <laughs> it's so confusing. It's Oh, there's so many weird elements of, okay, Django, the woman, the probe, the space things, and then he doesn't kill Padme once he's alone, he kills the other woman. Um, it's a weird thing, and I feel like it's a, it's another it's another showcase of what's weird about the prequels, is there's a lot of just extra stuff. Um, and I feel like that defines these next two ones, Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. There's a lot of extra stuff that you don't need, you just don't need there. Um would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. There's just a lot of stuff that could be cut. Mm. Just, just trimmed down a bit. Yeah. I mean, because the whole purpose of that is that the the assassin that was hired to kill the female, the shapeshifter, mm-hmm. gets hit with a dart. <laughs> and the dart is how. Oh yeah. Obi Wan finds them. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't? Why we could, we could just have it in that Django fires a dart at Padme misses and then you still have the dart and you just cut all that crap out yeah i mean have him chase jangle and to do that um and then even then you have a villain for the movie jangle um who is the actual kind of at least the secondary villain in the movie um instead of a weird chase that means nothing and then jangle fair is in a distance somewhere um firing darts from 200 yeah. feet away yeah, firing darts. I don't really get it. I really don't. Um, this whole movie is is just full. It's just full of stuff. <laughs> um, like I, another great example of how um, Lucas kind of lost his handle of um, exposition um, is when he goes to the character Dexter Dexter Jester Dexter Jester. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then I know it's a Dexter Fletcher then. Oh, <laughs> that would have been good. Um, um, and he goes over to him and he says, where is this from? And he goes, oh, it could be from here. And he goes, oh, well, I guess, okay. 
And then he goes to Yoda, and then Yoda says the exact same thing. It could be from here. And then he goes to the library, and he gets told, I guess it could be from there. Um, and it, this the same scene, the same information gets relayed to the audience three times. It's insane to me. Um, and in this time, Obi-Wan experiences no character growth or any sort of doesn't learn anything about himself or anything. There's not he's just there doing a detective mystery sort of thing and it's fine, but it's over long and it's just it's too much. There's too much plot and there's not enough character in this movie for me to be invested in it. Um which is I guess why the highlight the highlight again for me is Anakin and his the Tatooine sequence. Um that I feel like that's the point. The only reason I would ever want anyone to watch this film is for that sequence on Tatooine. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it has all the same problems of clunky dialogue and some weird framing, and in general, just I don't want to say bad filmmaking, but just bland. Um, but I do feel like Anakin and his journey of going back home um, and with Padme and meeting Owen Lars and Clee Lars um, and finding his mother and her dying and him going on a rampage and then burying his mother is. I think a really great sequence in these movies, um, and I feel like it's a it's a big part about of what I like about the prequels is the whole the the fall of Anakin Skywalker. I think does work, um, mm-hmm. even though I don't think they do a good job, maybe making them making us like him to from the get go um, as a, as a character. I don't think we maybe relate to him as much as, much as we should before the downfall um, and. Command of Phantom Menace, I think the prequels can be summed up by the one line by Yoda, where I think it's uh, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and the hate leads to suffering. Because um, yeah. that's just Anakin's journey, just summed up in like four words. <laughs> it's it is it is the entire journey for him, and I do think it works. But around that, we've got this weird romance. <laughs> How do you feel about the romance? I hate. Put <laughs> it bluntly, I just. I just think, I just, I, words don't describe, mm. in my mind. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I just don't know. It, it's like, I don't know what to make of it, because for me, I guess it's kind of like a 1940s, like, love affair thing, where whenever they talk to each other, it's always about how to love each other, and it's always like, really melodramatic and it's really over the top i mean i mean like it's weird as well because like obviously my favorite films are the, the sam raimi spider-man trilogy and mary jane and peter parker they're talking a lot of obvious sort of i love you ways there's no sort of like banter there there's no sort of like winty witty back and forth there there's it's a lot of i love you and like melodrama and all that um, yeah so it's weird i can't like really think of on what's so weird about it in this film but it's so off-putting how they talk to each other <laughs> um it's and i think it i don't want to say it's an it's um hayden christian's fault because i would go as far as to say that everyone in this film is under a weird amount of disadvantage because of either the direction or the amount of green screen um yeah they i mean nicole kid nicole kidman not here um what do you call her natalie portman mm-hmm. um sees in this movie and see as a 10 year old girl was great in a movie called Leon and has been a great actress for ages. Um, mm. Ewan McGregor, Ewan McGregor, yeah. Ewan McGregor, however long, has been a great actor. Um, however, in the prequels, 
questionable sometimes. I mean, even him questionable at some points. Um, I mean, I think from the prequels, if you had to look at one actor who did the best, I think you're probably looking at, at Ewan McGregor. Oh, yeah. Definitely. On the whole, either Ewan McGregor or Ian McDiarmid. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who Ian McDermott fully embraces the campiness of it. Oh, yeah, he goes for it. Um, particularly in Revenge of the Sith, I think Ewan McGregor is really strong in that film. Yeah. I think he's yeah. particularly great in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. And he, he even just... in even Attack of the Clones, I think he does a pretty good job. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like he's having the most fun um, with the whole thing. Um mm. I always get a sense that you you were in McGregor in episode two learns the fact that this is just a bit of fun and he's not he's not really going to be proud of his movies in, in the same way he's proud of transporting maybe but he's going to enjoy it while he's while he's doing it um, which is what I get from him from these this um, episode two onwards where he's having he's just having fun um, mm, yeah <laughs> he's going to get deterred by either some wonky direction or some clunky lines he's going to make it up with it um, and I feel like that's the same thing of um, Ian McDermott, I feel like he similarly kind of got some weird lines there and some green screen and some maybe some weird some weird directions um, and kind of just thought, I might as well just go for it because in Return of the Jedi I'm, like, I'm the most evil person in the world, like I can't I can't play this straight like, I can't do this like a normal performance you know mm. um, so like, I feel like they two, them two just go for it and I feel like Natalie Portman and Hayden Christensen are maybe like held down a bit by what their scenes are in this movie because they aren't very over the top uh, Star Wars techno techno whatever things they're just two people falling in love but with George Lucas dialogue in the prequel era <laughs> um, with George Lucas George Lucas dialogue and a CGI pair yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god yeah oh. no I think I think the actors in that scene do a particularly good job of trying to sell that. Yeah, I from mean, which, from their perspective, there's uh, nothing there. There's nothing there. Why isn't there anything there? You couldn't get a table and a pair and a. Oh god! Out of all the amazing things Star Wars does in special effects, we couldn't get a pair to float across a table. Just attach it to a bit of string. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> oh my god! And you ever... spent. You must have spent months creating all these brilliant, brilliant physical effect, uh, practical effects for like aliens. Yeah. And you couldn't design a pear. a pear on a bit of string. Yeah. And then when Natalie Portman eats the pear and it like it like does a weird thing where it like just goes into her mouth like a <laughs> like a picture going across a, across like a presentation. It's so it's oh god, it's so weird. And again, another thing is when Anakin's riding those like weird I don't know, cow bull things on, on Naboo and he falls off it. Remember that scene? Vaguely. <laughs> and he like falls off it and he like pretends to be hurt. But before that, the special effect is so it's so odd because there's a CGI 2002 CGI Anakin on top of a on top of a weird bull thing and he falls off. And then he like it's it looks all odd. It's so odd. Um and then like I kind of I guess I kind of enjoy these scenes from a pure like this is just weird, like, <laughs> and it. This is Star it's weirdest. Yeah, it's it's kind of sad that this the prequels being Star Star Wars chronolo- chronologically is a uh, it's kind of 
way to me the love story that started the whole thing was this you know it's the 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 mother and father of Luke and Luke and Leia were like this <laughs> um, well there's there's a theory that um, Anakin used the Force to make Padme fall in love with him oh God that would make more sense actually <laughs> um, yeah uh, actually look, their relationship is much better done in the Clone Wars oh much better they feel like a couple like they feel like supportive healthy couple oh, they do. <laughs> uh, whereas in this one it's they start off and Anakin's being real creepy about it. He's he's like, yeah. What would you say? Oh, um, you were exactly how I remember you in my dreams. Never say that. <laughs> Never say that. Like I am no Casanova, but like don't say that. <laughs> An odd line. Um, and so many odd lines. Like, yeah, I had to, and then my last viewing of Phantom Menace, I had to like check up the the age difference between them because I was. I was so unsure about how Anakin, a nine-year-old boy, was like. I don't know what age he was going to be in Attack of the Clones. I couldn't. I just can't tell. Um, and then Padme, I can't tell if he's either like twenty-five or sixteen in these movies. I really can't tell. Um, so yeah, these movies are. Um, these these this relationship in particular is a very weird one that just if you like really out there melodramatic mm, romance then good i i i do as well however mm-hmm. it's it starts off from such a weird place of creepiness that's just it, it makes you think there's there's no way this could this is going to happen like there's this like there's just no way that she will eventually like like this guy and she does um so it's i mean from here going forward i think Renzo the Sith, Renzo the Sith, and the Clone Wars is a very good job with them, um, but how they start is so weird. It's 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 like distracting how weird it is the entire movie. Um, um, how do you feel about the ending, the actual Geonosis Clone War starting thing? I don't think it's I don't think it's too bad. Mm. Yeah. Um, um, I've I just checked by the way. Mm-hmm. Padme is supposed to be five years older than Anakin. Five years older. Okay. Mm. That's okay. According to Wikipedia, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Padme is born 46 BBY, mm-hmm. and Anakin is born 41 BBY. <laughs> right, okay. So, they're kind of okay then. <laughs> Which means, wait, 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 wait. I'm going to do a bit of maths here. Okay. I have, I have, I have A-level in maths, my friend. <laughs> so, don't you worry about the validity of this result. I'll trust you. Why is my phone not working? You can't do it. Right, right, here we go. No, no, I'm doing this in my head. Load the website, you stupid phone. (laughs) Oh, God. Why you are... Right, okay. So, 46 (laughs) BBY. I'm going to do this without the source. 46 BBY, which means that Phantom Menace... No, 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 wrong film. Revenge of the Sith <laughs> yeah. is 19 BBY. So 20 years later, New Hope happens. Yeah, because Luke's 19. And a, new, oh, yeah. and a New Hope is 0 BBY. Yeah. Okay. Right. That makes sense. So it's 19 years before. And that means my... that Padme is... She is 27. Right. When she dies... When she dies. 
And nah. Anakin is 22. Oh, okay. They lived short lives, didn't they? <laughs> oh, they did. <laughs> didn't have a good time, really, as well. Um, slave, Jedi. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Anakin gets to live forever as a Force case now, so, you know. That's true. With all the, ah. with all the younglings he killed. Oh, Padme. Hmm. <laughs> she won't. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I guess for me, the, the the last sort of after this film is. Um... Yeah, sorry, we're talking about Geonosis, weren't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was very classic. Um, yeah. <laughs> Get, yeah. Um, I feel like it's probably the best part of the film. Um, I guess because. The digital people that are working in the film take over from directing George, from George Lucas, and the shots become a lot more like kinetic and energetic. Um, so I feel like something's happening. Um, the clone, the actual battle itself, when you think about it, it's like a it's like a weird like light show. It's just laser beams going back and forth between robots and people in stormtrooper outfits. Um, two very nameless like people that I don't really care about until the Clone Wars TV show at least. Um, so yeah, it's a weird battle for me where I'm like, oh, I'm awake now, but also at the same time, I'm watching nothing happen in my opinion. Like it's nothing that I care about happening here. Um, so it's a mixed bag of like, it's a third act and it's the end, it's the beginning of the Clone Wars, the actual thing the prequel should be about. And, but at the same time, I don't really care about what's going on. It's, they get Count Dooku in time. Um, and even that, I don't really get. I don't really like the climax of this film in terms of the lightsaber bat, the lightsaber fight. I feel like it's the weakest one in the whole saga. Um, mm. Would you agree with that? I think. Yeah, I think it probably is the weakest one. Yeah. Um, despite how I like to joke that the worst lightsaber fight in Star Wars in Return the in sorry in Revenge of the Sith. Mm. I, I, li- I like to joke that the worst one is Palpatine versus the Four Jedi. <laughs> but, and from, a, from an enjoyment point of view, I would say the one the one in Attack of the Clones is probably the most... It is the most meh. Yeah. Other than the fact that part of me deep down inside does enjoy Yoda jumping about and screaming. I, I hate it so much. <laughs> I do. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know, I don't blame you. It's not. It's not a big part of me that enjoys it. It's just, it just amuses me. Yeah. Yoda introduced in Empire Strikes Back is this little, little trickster. Yeah. Mugging mugging Luke off. <laughs> um, and then you and then you go back to him only twenty years before, and he's leaping around like a. Yeah. I don't know, like a. Like a like a tick, basically. <laughs> yeah, it, it's. Um, I think it, it sums up my problem with the action in these movies. Because um, I feel like you can go back and watch the, the original trilogy and see those lightsaber battles, and the sequel, the sequel trilogy, and see those lightsaber battles. And even if you don't, I don't know why, but even if you don't really like the choreography in those battles, especially like a New Hope, um, you can't deny that the whole driving force off those battles is the emotions and the characters and what they're going through. Um, it's never from a point of like, let's have a good lightsaber battle and see how fun it is. It's always it's always built from the ground up of Anakin, Anakin, not Anakin um, Obi-Wan and Darth Vader are coming together after 20 years and they're going to have a battle. 
it's always like it's always going to be like the emotional end point of that of their friendship before it's going to be a well choreographed um, fight scene and again Luke, Luke versus Luke versus Darth Vader is, is always a sort of is he going is he is he good enough to be a Jedi yet or is he not and then the whole ending is him being his father and then Return of the Jedi you got the whole turmoil of, do I, am I really going to kill my own father to do this whole Jedi thing and say say everyone I know and love or the sequel trilogy is I think for me a sequel trilogy has the best mixture of prequel and original sort of um lightsaber battles where I feel like mm. it's well it's very well choreographed from a from the point of view of this like a stunt a stunt scene. Um but yeah. also it's it's built from a, an emotional viewpoint of Kylo's just killed his father, he is completely unbalanced. Ray is finally taking up the hero's call and doing her duty as a person and like just doing the whole Jedi thing for the first time. Or um, Kylo and Ray are fighting fighting together or whether it's the fight in Rise of Skywalker where he's like, stop fighting. <laughs> and um, Ray's just so angry about her parentage and everything happened to her and Kylo finally feels like he's got, got someone that he relates to in the Force. And when I go back to the prequels, I kind of think, well, yeah, Darth Maul and Qui-Gon, they're, they're Jedi and that's a Sith and he's evil and he's good. Um, and this one is, I feel like, the weakest in terms of emotional relevance. I feel it, it means nothing to me, like this fight. Um, You're not fighting I, for any particular reason. Yeah. I, Count Dooku, again, I think he's I think he's my least favourite like Star Wars villain, because I just don't understand him at all. I know he was a villain, he was a Jedi before, um, and that's it. I don't really get him. I just don't understand no. why he's in these movies to begin with. Um, yeah, I don't really... This is my least favourite one, definitely. The, the, the fight's over fight. <clears throat> do you do you think the um, same? I think that um, yeah, he's not he's not particularly um, he's not like I understand why he's there because he sort of like becomes something of like a puppet master for the separatists. Yeah, and like their their chancellor in a way. Mm-hmm. But even then, you don't actually know that unless you've watched the Clone Wars episode where it shows him. Yeah, I, and, I had no idea he was the main enemy until like, what the Clone was. I had yeah, no idea I, that he was meant to be the main enemy. Because <clears throat> there's no mention to him in Phantom Menace at all. No, not at all. <laughs> and I think that um, him just popping up and being like, yes, I am the master of your doom mm. is a bit... It's not a no one. Yeah, it, it, feels... it just feels like they needed somebody to be there and to have the lightsaber fight. Yeah, and again, it's one of those things again where you're like, why not just use Darth Maul? Like, why not just bring him back or not even kill him to begin with? It's it's weird that they built a trilogy around having each movie had a different a different villain. Um, with and you got to explain you got to explain them each time, um, and mm. it doesn't help stories that you're telling at, at that moment um yeah because i mean the, the fact the relevance of count dooku is perhaps best shown to the fact that he's killed in the opening 20 minutes of return of, of why do i keep saying return of the jedi <laughs> he's killed in the opening 20 minutes the revenge of the sith yeah uh, and just because we've got a new bad guy to take over we've got this massive monstrosity with four arms yeah, we think it's a bit cooler than an old man with a fencing <laughs> style. 
Um, speaking of which, do you want to move on to Revenge of the Sith? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, is this your favourite one? Of the prequels? Yeah, yeah. Without doubt. Yeah, same here. <laughs> I think it's, uh, it's all that's good about the prequels, still with a little bit of what's bad. Yeah. But I think it achieves that sense of building up. Hmm. And it feels, it definitely feels like these are big events. Mm-hmm. I think it has the, by far the best opening of the prequels for the. Oh, yeah. The fleet battle above Coruscant is, is brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think generally it's well worked. Again, it has a better structure. Mm-hmm. And it just, it just seems to flow naturally. And yeah. It sort of shows what the other prequels are missing in that. We should have had more of this war stuff. Yeah. We should it, have been shown more of the Jedi being transformed from this monk-like order to generals and soldiers mm. and knights, essentially <laughs> knights of the Republic. Yeah. Which we do yeah. see in the Clone Wars, which is one of the strengths of the Clone Wars. Yeah. Um, like one of the one of the big sort of beats, especially when you get to the Siege of Mandalore arc. Part of the subtext is that these characters have just become soldiers. Yeah. Um, and I think it expresses that a lot better. Like the like the Jedi meetings feel like war council meetings. Yeah. And when you, as opposed to the exposition dumps, the council meetings have been before, the council meetings feel like they have more relevance in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Like they're like actually they're... discussing important things. And it's mm. an important part of the story. Yeah. And if they don't discuss it, bad things will happen, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's doing something for the movie. Um, um, whereas I feel like the other two, I kind of... I feel like we had... We talked about this recently, actually, but um, I love the idea that the Jedi are kind of the villains of the prequel trilogy. Yeah. And in not the things that we thought they were going to be. Um so I think, like, I don't even really know what people thought the Jedi Order was going to be like. I didn't really have the expectation. I just always knew that they were a weird monk thing that um, lived, lived in Coruscant. I always knew that because I didn't live before the prequels. So um, so seeing, so I just really love the idea of having them be this sort of inactive monk-like thing that preaches all these great things but don't really follow their own rules. Um, mm. And don't, they don't allow love. And it's got to be some sort of, um, it's going to be, it's going to be strictly a, an unhuman thing of you can't, you cannot love unless you are, don't treat it like a possession, a possession at all, and it's all you got to be un- unconditional and compassionate, and it's all it can't be. There's no room for human error at all, um, which I love as the the sort of driving force for Anakin going to the dark side of. Mm. It wasn't really Palpatine. It, he definitely he took advantage of all this, the things he was going through, but the Jedi were the big reason he was going through any sort of turmoil. They weren't the heroes he need he needed to be a part of to yeah. a better person. They he, <laughs> you have that lack of Qui Gon as well. Yeah, lack so of if Qui- he's there, he, he might be able to solve this this problem of Anakin being married. And... It's yeah, it's um. Yeah, it just yeah, like I really love the idea, but it, yeah, again, it's handled oddly because I don't feel like you feel the tragedy of the the Jedi losing themselves. It's always 
from the get-go, it's always just they're Jedi or weird and kind of bad when you think about it. It's never an arc for them. It doesn't feel like in Episode 2 they go into this turmoil and they come, you kind of lose the the love for the Jedi that you, that you had in the first the first movie. It's From the get-go, it's just weird and it's never really explained why it's weird. Mm. Uh, so it's half of the, these movies' greatest strengths and half of their greatest weaknesses of... It's a great idea. It works really well in context of the rest of the movies that come after this. But on a movie by itself, it just doesn't work as a as any as having any sort of meaning within its own within its own self. Um, but yeah, going to this one, Renzo I feel like yeah, they definitely become. They, you get the feeling that the Jedi have, have lost themselves in this war and that they want to have it come to an end and that the they are the villains in a way and. Palpatine just there to kind of like take advantage of advantage of all those the things that they're not doing well. Um, so I feel mm. like I feel like that's a, a pretty great point of this movie. That whilst yes, the the, the Palpatine Anakin scenes are Anakin scenes are very much the same. They walk down the corridor sort of thing. It's still it still has a good backup at least of like you you feel the arc coming to an end. You feel like Anakin is the main character in this movie. And yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah, it's the first one that you feel like Anakin is the main character, and we're going to follow him to the dark side and kind of hope that he doesn't, that he doesn't do it, but he's going to do it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it feels more like an actual two-hour movie that's about something rather than a, the last four hours that have been about many things, and you just gather whatever you want from them <laughs> um, compared to this one, which feels like an actual experience um, you're going through. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think through through perhaps a bit better dialogue between Obi-Wan and Anakin, mm-hmm. I think it yeah. helps you really feel sort of Obi-Wan's torment to, towards him going to the dark side. Yeah. Um, I feel you feel a bit more of that pain a bit more. Yeah, the opening of the film is, it helps a lot. <laughs> it does. <laughs> For their friendship. Um, yeah. Because um, the, the opening of the film is um, actually like pretty like well done <laughs> it's, it's pretty great and it's it's a shame because it, it, when you think about it it kind of feels like it should be the opening of episode one it it feels like you should have met obi-wan and anakin in the midst of a war um saving each other from certain death all time and being good good friends with each other mm. and then had two movies of him them two growing apart instead of uh the opening scene of the third movie and then they go apart again um yeah it's it's a it's a great scene. It's unfortunate that that's it's at the beginning of the third movie. Um, it is. It, it would have been interesting to have maybe at the start of Phantom Menace. Yeah. Have that sort of scene, but have it with Obi Wan and Qui Gon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then open it with Revenge of the Sith like this, just with Obi Wan in the master role. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think it, that'd be something. It'd be really something to. Uh, it gives a bit of subtext and a bit of depth to what Obi Wan finds in the relationship. It would also help with the whole the way the trilogy is always working. Star Wars. By the time we get to the third one, when we meet the main characters, they all feel like different from the previous two. Um, Luke always feels like he's a different character at the beginning of Return of the Jedi, um, in a good way. Um, and same with Rey, he feels like a more confident character by the time we get to the third the third movie in her trilogy um so i feel like if we got to this third movie and it was obi-wan 
becoming the leader and it felt like it was a like like it was a parallel to his journey before rather than just i guess we got to set up the friendship because it's going to end now (laughs) um sort of thing um yeah yeah, it's it's yeah i thought this this movie is this movie is solid i don't i don't particularly love it i don't hate it definitely i just Mm. it's a solid movie that i'm thankful works as well as it does um yeah yeah i think it's obviously a lot better than the previous prequels. Mm-hmm. I think it's because a lot of people love this film. Oh yeah, people. I've mentioned it before, but if you go on like places like Instagram, Facebook, mm-hmm. if you go into, you delve deep into the depths of those <laughs> platforms, you do find a lot of people who, particularly on Instagram, I've seen it on Instagram more than anything, like fan accounts and stuff like that. Yeah, they always seem to have. They always seem to talk. Like it's common knowledge that they all believe that return the. I said it again. <laughs> I went to say revenge. Oh my god! Similar titles. <laughs> revenge of the Sith. They think Revenge of the Sith is the best film. Yeah. Um, it's not something I necessarily agree with. In fact, I don't, I don't agree with. It. I don't think it's the best Star Wars film. I don't either. <laughs> um, but it's certainly. It's certainly better than the rest of the prequels, and it doesn't have emotion in it. Oh, yeah. And again, I feel like Revenge of the Sith is further enhanced by the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. The Clone Wars version of Anakin is the best version of Anakin we've seen. I don't think anybody would dispute that. Yeah, I, would I don't mean that as an offence to Hayden Christensen because I think he does a good job with what he's given. Yeah. Particularly in Revenge of the Sith. I said it right at that time. I would argue that his performance in this movie is. Um, somewhat perfect. I think he's actually really great in this movie. Um, mm. I, I think, think by the end, yeah, he has that tormented but also quite young. Yeah, I movie. think my my favorite moment from him in this movie is um, when Padme tells him that um, she's pregnant, and his reaction his reaction is so it's so like mixed of like this is a a great thing. Um, however, it's also a terrible thing for us because we're hiding our own, we're hiding ourselves from everyone else in the world. Um, and being pregnant doesn't help with, <laughs> with that at all. Mm. Uh, so he, ha- he has this great reaction to it that's very slow and kind of, it tells you everything you need to know about how he's feeling about it without any sort of lines um, compared to all the other lines in these prequels that are very clunky and obvious. Um, mm. And I feel like he does honestly a pretty great job in this movie throughout the entire thing um um it's a shame though that the just the previous movie didn't, didn't do well with him in terms of just set, 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 setting up the romance to be compelling from from the get-go in this movie um yeah which i do feel like in this one it does work better actually the, the romance it does it feels more natural and even the one sort of similar weird romance scene between Anakin and Padme on the rooftop, like the 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 apartment that they live in, um, when she's brushing her hair or something like that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't it doesn't feel as odd because they are in love. They've been together for five years and they're just having a nice time because he's going to go to war in two days' time, you know? It's um it does it feels a bit more natural and a bit less forced and kind of like they're in love. We've got, we've got to tell you that they're in love by telling you that they're in love. <laughs> um, it's It does feel a bit more natural in this one. I do feel like Anakin's turn to the dark side, I do believe in. And I feel like, not only does this movie do a good job with it, but I feel like it's a testament to the previous two 
with him that I feel like we began from a place where I feel like it could have went it could have went so well and we lost it and it didn't get any better in the, sec- in the second one where he lost his he lost his mother because the Jedi didn't let him go home and save everyone that lived there he had to stay like a monk and not not care not feel about anything um, and I feel like having him turn to the dark side here it feels like a natural progression of it does. I, I can't lose anyone again like this is too much for me and it's I can't live that purely unhuman, selfless life. Um, I feel like everyone in real life and in movies and all that is striving to be selfless. It's always like a weird thing of like you're born selfish and you're trying to get less selfish as you as you go on with life. Um, but I feel like having that sort of pressure from the Jedi in the Indian movies is a really like deteriorating factor of like you can't, it's not healthy to do that to someone. And they did it from since he was nine years old. And Palpatine saying, "I can, I can give you power to just, just let Padme live," and I feel like it's the perfect way to, just like, to make him turn to the dark side. Um, and I feel like it that does work in this movie. And if it didn't work, this movie would fall apart real quick. <laughs> yeah, it would. Yeah, that, that fall to the dark side has to be completely believable. Yeah, and that idea of him wanting to protect things after he's lost so much, mm. it also does do what ultimately a prequel should do in enhance the original yeah in that when palpatine's frying luke mm-hmm. <laughs> you see him wanting to save luke because that's all he has left yeah and it's and not that... like a massive thing you think about but it's sort of it helps and it adds that depth that's ultimately what you know a prequel should do yeah it's whenever whenever I, before the prequels, I imagine before the prequels, you, when you saw Theater save Luke, it was more like a, a reclaiming of humanity. And it and I feel like it still is that now. But when you add on top of that, the fact that he never had a father, um, Qui-Gon could have been his father. I'll be everyone tried to be a father, but he couldn't do it. Um, Palpatine seduced him into the dark side through using his, his genuine just love for people and wanting to have them in his life. Um, it feels more like at the end, at the end of the story, he becomes this selfless version of himself, where he can become the father that he never had, which Dave Lawrence talks about a lot. Mm. Um, and I feel like it's a great point in it because it's the crux of his entire his entire journey is the fact that he didn't have a family to begin with that was a healthy healthy one, and then the one he got put into was a Jedi Academy, which wasn't mm. good. Um, so yeah, I feel like it, it adds a lot to the to the original trilogy and add a lot to even the ones after that where the sequel trilogy is all about what do you do with, the, with that legacy of what do you do with all all these lessons you learned from the original trilogy and the course and tale of the prequels um what do you actually take away from all that and i feel like um ben solo at the end using his power to give real life and completely to sacrifice sacrifice himself is a great way of just taking what's taking good lessons from these stories of bad things happening <laughs> uh, yeah it's all about learning from the past and people learning yeah. that while you know there are things we can take from that things we can take from the jedi yeah there are ways to be better yeah and we uh, have to be better if we're going to make this work this time around <laughs> yeah um and again the jedi academy being so like weird and just not at all helpful to anyone <laughs> um it really works really well when you go to the end of the saga in episode nine where they finally say anyone is allowed to be a jedi as long as they've got courage and heart and are able to face their fears in rare 
because um, Ray, as much as I was um, somewhat against the idea of her being a Palpatine, like any sort of bloodline relation, um, the idea that the Jedi who wouldn't let on a nine-year-old because he was too old, <laughs> or wouldn't let wouldn't let Duke, uh, Luke become a Jedi because his father was Anakin, um, or told Anakin, told Luke to kill Anakin because he was too far gone. The fact that at the end they say to Ray, a person who was born from evil and has her destiny from her bloodline implies that it's going to be going to turn out bad. Um, the fact that they all go, ah, so she can be a Jedi, <laughs> she can do this. Um, it's really, it's really, really heartwarming to see that see that arc happen. Even though it's off screen, it just happened from there. And I feel like it is there to be read that subtext. Um, yeah. and it is like a lovely a lovely arc for uh, pe- people that didn't, didn't start start out very well in these movies. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I feel like the prequels do add a lot to the next the next two trilogies and even the Mandalorian and all these other things. Um, yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Is How that do- a good point to conclude on? Um, I want to say this, how do you feel about the lightsaber fight at the end as well? Um, Obi-Wan versus Anakin. I think there's a lot of flailing. Yeah. But I do quite like it. Yeah. It's my favourite one in the in the prequel trilogy. It's, yeah. It's, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's from, it's like from a, an emotional turmoil. It's It means something. It, it ends on a, on a note of real, like, tragedy. Um, however, mm. it has the same problem again of, like, why? Why is this? Why is this twenty minutes long? Like, why are we in a lava in like a lava pit? And why are we jumping around? And why are they flailing around? Because hmm. we have seen that lightsaber fights can have emotion while also being incredibly short. Yeah, Rebels is the uh, best example of that. Yeah, yeah. Good Although I don't know if you've got to that point. No, no, I finished it now. I oh, finished Rebels. Oh, that's yeah. good. Okay. Really liked it. <laughs> good. I can talk about. Fear of spoiling it for you, but the the lightsaber fight between Obi Wan and Darth Maul in Rebels, yeah, is incredibly short. Yet it's one of the most emotional mm. of the franchise. You understand it completely, and you it has yeah. that it has that full circle quality that Star Wars has sometimes. Where it's, I mean, people Nick jokes about this line from George Lucas that I say when he's making Episode One, but he said it, it's like poetry. It, it rhymes like each. Each stanza has like a rhyme, a rhyme to the last one. Yeah, and I feel like people. I don't know why people thought that was kind of funny, but for me that was always just true. Like I always, I always understood that to be true. Like even though the sequels can kind of go a bit too far into that with like a new Death Star or Palpatine is back from the dead because the last one did it. <laughs> it even though they can't go a bit too far, I do feel like that that rhyming quality of Star Wars, the circle going over and over again, is kind of I love that idea in Star Wars and the idea that from each circle we learn more and more things from the last one. Um, yeah. Uh, and I do think it's a beautiful way of doing three trilogies that have diff- different feelings and tones them, but connect- connecting them through it's kind of like, oh, well, in the first movie, um, Anakin blew up the whole, the, the donut ship. <laughs> um, and in A New Hope, he blew up the Death Star and all these like little parallels between getting the arm cut off and all these things, and it's it does work for me now. Looking at it back, and there's a, a nine episode saga. Um, yeah, it does. The, that like rhyming quality. Yeah. Yeah, I and think it, the ultimately how we a lot of people choose to define films is how I choose to define them. If the heart's there, it can almost help you to look book past the, the flaws. Yeah, it's, looking at the good stuff. The good stuff, like Revenge, like parts of Revenge of the Sith. And the Clone Wars TV show. 
Yeah. It helps to pick out the bits that mean something to you and that you do like, and then you bring it forward when you watch the films that maybe you do prefer. Mm-hmm. And it yep. helps to enhance them. And that's, like I said, it's exactly what a prequel should be. It should enhance everything that maybe you've already seen. It should have the level of depth and the level of understanding to it. It's and even a... like, even for the sequels, which came after the prequels, it does help. It provides that background of the Jedi. Maybe they weren't all good, but mm-hmm. we can learn from that. We can be better. And it's through a character who was a scavenger who meant nothing in the story and then all of a sudden is the villain of the story, but isn't really because it doesn't really matter. Um, is it? I think that's a great way of ending that story. Um, and again, with Star Wars, I feel like it's... It's a, it's a weird franchise because I don't feel like you could ever really say I mean, I guess you can make the argument for the sequel because they are from Disney, a billion-dollar franchise owning <laughs> company, that they are from a place of, like, greediness, but I don't ever get that feeling from those movies. Um, I think, especially the prequels, you could hate those movies from what, for what they are and how you view them, but I don't think you could ever say that they, they came from a place of hatred or greediness. They came from a place of, I want to finish the story that I started because I love the story. Yeah, uh, it's my baby. Yeah, <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah, so I feel like we might we might not love them, we might not hate them, we might be a bit indifferent to them, but um, I I can never say that I can just write them off as just cast grabs, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think that's is that what we're going to choose to take away from it? Because it's what I think I want to take away from it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good good point to make. It. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is that, yeah. conclu- is that our conclusion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can do that. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> All right. And that's it. That's the prequels for you. Yeah. Good movies. <laughs> I, think, I think they are. As a whole, as an era. I love the, the era. They were a flawed but somewhat good trilogy that you respect. <laughs> yeah. You can find good stuff in, even if people say that they're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, shall I bring us home yeah after yep okay um so yeah that's that's the prequels there we go we've enjoyed (laughs) for 20 years um i enjoyed my rambling at the start and through the middle it's not been a good day for me it's been a tiring day for you you deserve a break (laughs) oh yeah um next well the next two weeks Mm -hmm. batman yeah batman we're doing a bit of a ranking yeah. It'll be in all... two parts. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, Batman. Um, have fun with it. We will. I th- I've had fun with this one. I've had fun with the prequels. Yeah. <laughs> we hope you have. Remember, Instagram at the Marvel of Cinema podcast. Mm-hmm. Our reviews should recently be uh, be concluding. Yeah. Um, we'll be starting opinions on Monday, are we? Yeah. Okay. Um, I've got a template to show you for that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, yeah, that's that's what we're starting on Monday on Instagram. Um, same thing happening on Twitter at mm-hmm. Cinema Marvels. Yep. Join the fun there. If you've enjoyed, please give us a, a nice review. Please be kind. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and give us a star rating, like, whatever you feel, whatever, because it, it does it helps it helps massively. What do you feel about it? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I want to say a quick thank you mm-hmm. to in um, Nerds Podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who have been uh, been helping us out a little bit on Instagram lately. 
Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you for listening. Yeah. Anybody that's made it this far. <laughs> and our ramblings of two mad people. Yeah. <laughs> we hope to catch you again another time. Yeah. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.